0: Another edition of the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. I'm Bethel Duran, as always, joined by Ricky Romero. Season three underway. Rick, how are you feeling?
1: Good, man. Uh, I'm excited about our next guest. It should be a fun episode. He's our first guest since uh, we had, I don't even remember who our last guest was. So I'd be a little rusty today, but I'm looking forward to it. It should be an exciting uh, episode.
0: And if you look over my shoulder, you know, I always like to bring things out there. I got the... Play like a champion today. Yes, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Yes, I've been there. But when you bring on Kevin Biggio, you got to make sure that you're representing the Irish. Kevin Biggio is today's guest on Season 3, Episode 2 of Let's Go Ricky Rowe. Kevin, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Okay. Ricky, how do you know Kevin?
1: Well, obviously, we're our roots are with the Blue Jays, and that's how I... He was when he was drafted in 2016, I was already gone. Um, But obviously, I still kept up with the Blue Jays as much as I could. And he was one of the names that I'd always read about. Um, And then I got to meet him and talk to him a little bit more. Uh, Was it earlier this year, I think we had, or, or last year, we had a winter tour with the Toronto Blue Jays. And they brought JP and myself as alumni. And Cab was there as one of the players So that's where I interacted with him and got to know him. And, you know, we, we, we've kept in touch. We kept in touch during the season during the playoffs and all that good stuff. Um, you know, I respect him. He honestly, he probably doesn't know this, but when I watch Blue Jays games, he's honestly, and this is not because he's, he's our guest today, but he's one of the guys that I like watching play. He's just the way he carries himself. You know, everything I've heard from people I've talked to is that he's, he's a natural born leader. And, uh, and I think you you got to respect that when you hear that from a, especially a young guy like him. Um, you know, like I said, I'm excited and don't know a ton about him. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, that's why we do the podcast, because we got to ask the real questions. Like like I was telling Cavs before, like I don't care what the Blue Jays are doing this year. I want to know, what the hell is that thing on your head, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's a headband. So, yeah. See... He, so this we'll this podcast, he's got this headband going on. And I've seen a bunch of pictures on, you know, I Google everything. I do all the research and you got the headband all the time, Kevin. And as uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm in my forties. I'm losing my hair a little bit. I feel good, I, but I can't wear a headband like that. Cause I'm going to look like that stupid old guy wearing the headband. So am I jealous of you? Yes. Ricky, how's your hair looking? <laughs>
1: That's, <it>. That's <laughs> why I wear it. <laughs> 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 I started losing it at, uh, Three years ago, I had Seb- Sebastian, my oldest son, he's always like, "Daddy, why? What happened to your hair? Why? Why did it start falling off? Like, what? What's going on?" And I'm like, Dude, "I don't know. Hopefully, I don't hand this over to you. Hopefully, you have lots of hair, lots of flow for a long
0: time." <laughs> Gotta have the flow. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, um, let's see here. You grew up in Houston, played at Notre Dame, now with the Blue Jays. How old are you?
1: I'm 25. Damn. 25, young man, What were you doing at 25, Beto?
0: At, at 25, I was working at ESPN Radio, throwing out the t shirt still, um, trying to be a reporter, working high school games, trying to do whatever I can, making about probably $24,000 a year, feeling like a champ though. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, bro. I'm going to be on TV one day. Yeah, right. You, you guys are different. What were you doing at 25, Rick? How rich were you?
1: I'm not going to say how rich I was, but (laughs) Um, 25, I think I was already close to the big leagues or maybe, yeah, Yeah, maybe, I don't even remember. I mean, that was
0: 11 years ago, man. Kev, how's that feel, though, being a big leaguer?
2: It's the best feeling in the world. It's the best job in the world, man. I mean, Ricky knows about it. It's, you know, it's something you work for your whole life, and you finally get there and it's, you know, it's everything and some. So, I mean, I'm extremely blessed and super grateful for the opportunity I've had. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make most of it.
0: How rich are you, Kevin?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Messing I with
1: you. I just bought a house, so I'm not that rich. Oh. oh, there you go, man. Congrats. That, that's making big boy moves right there. That's what I'm talking Maybe about.
0: There you go. So you're making moves. That's cool. So as you can tell, Kevin, we just like messing around here. We don't care how rich you are. Uh, it's more of just your journey and what's going on. Kev, when you look at your time, you're only 25. A few years ago, you were at Notre Dame watching football games. Now you're in the big leagues, and you have one full season underneath your belt when you're going, especially because it was all weird this year. Has it hit you a little bit like, damn, I am a big leaguer? I mean – Kind of,
2: but, like, the way I think, my mindset towards things, it's always about, you know, it's going to sound super corny, but it's always about getting better. For me, I'm I'm not going to be a big leaguer, and it can go by quick. So, um, you know, my dad always told me it was always easy to get to the big leagues, but it's hard to stay there. So um, now I'm trying to do the hard part.
1: And it's true. It's true what he said. One thing when you get there, it's another thing to to be able to stick and to be able to do it for a long, long time. I mean, the guys that do it for eight, nine, ten plus years, it's it shows that one the hard work they put in, the durability, being able to stay healthy, and all that stuff obviously has to be on your side as well. And when I look at a guy like Kevin, like I said, it's he's never too high, never too low. It's always just seems like he's just so even keel, and that's why I enjoy watching him play. And watching. Sure. When, when every time he leads off a game, it's, it's, it's just, you can just see it's almost like the team kind of rallies behind it. Like, it's like, all right, we, we know we
0: got this. Kev, when you hear people talk about you and like how Ricky is giving me that compliment and stuff like that. And people are like, Oh, his demeanor, he's calm. You're like, man, I've always been like that. I, I, I had the same conversation with Rick. I'm like, Rick, watching you, the only time you get fired up was when you struck somebody out and you pumped a little bit and then you walk cool. off. all calm. How do you guys, because, I've never been there. The people listening never been there. How do you guys stay calm in a big-ass stadium with a big-ass moment and you're just like, cool. Like, how does that happen for you, Kev? Uh, I mean, we may look calm
2: on the outside, but on the inside, my heart is racing. and something <laughs> <laughs> we've been preparing our whole lives for. It, it. Travel ball, college, and years in the minor leagues, and you get to that moment, you, you're prepared. And, um, you know you may be nervous on the inside but you know you, you trust your preparation you trust what you've been through to to uh bring you success in situations like that so um you know to stay poised through a situation like that the better you're going to be and but even though I, I look calm on the inside you know there's some big situations where you know uh on the inside i, I, I my heart's beating and i and i'm uh you know i got the butterflies a little bit but uh as long as i look calm on the outside that's a good thing <laughs>
1: And I was going to say, Kev, do, do you think that obviously, with your dad being who he was, growing up in that atmosphere, do you think it it helps you and it's prepared you for moments like where you've watched not just your dad but many other big leaguers in big situations, and you've had front row tickets to that to that setting. Do, do you think it's helped you? Do you did you ever like looked at a player and was like, wow, like he carries himself so calm? doesn't even look like there's a heartbeat there. Did, did you ever pick up on anything like that when you were younger?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I always, you know, credit my dad. That's the biggest thing he's helped me in my career is just bringing me, out, bringing me around the clubhouse, bringing around the guys. Um, you know, I, I think that it gave me an advantage as soon as I got into pro ball where, you know, I, I had I had seen for so long what it was supposed to look like at the highest level from those Astros teams. And, um you know, I already had an idea of how I was going to approach it, uh, versus, you know, a guy getting in, getting drafted, and you know, kind of figure it out as they go. But um, you know, and, and that aspect, I you know, I watched some great players behind the scenes, guys like Jeff Bagwell, Lance Berkman, uh, you know, my father, of course. But um yeah, I I felt like I had a little bit of an advantage uh in that aspect going into Pro Ball in general.
0: You know, that's something that you know, we don't want to like harp on, like, okay, yeah, you're, yeah, you're Craig Bigel's son, but for, you know, Craig's not on the podcast. This is the Kevin Bigel show today. And, uh, you know, we respect your dad, what he's accomplished, but it's pretty cool to see me as a reporter when you would see these young kids in the clubhouse and you're like, like me, I'm just jealous. I'm like, damn, imagine that. Just one thing to just to go to a baseball game, that's awesome. But to run around in the clubhouse and you just mentioned it, you're looking at these guys, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm here. With as a guest, you're like, nah, these are my friends. Hey, Lance. Hey, Roger. Hey, how you doing? Like, right? Like, take me to like you. I think your brother's name is Cade. Uh, Is that his name? Connor. Oh, Connor. Connor, Connor, your brother. uh, Connor, you guys were running around that clubhouse. That's all you ever knew, right?
2: Yeah. It was. It was honestly the best time in the world, and we considered ourselves like the luckiest kids because at the time the Astros were a great team, and you know Houston. Everybody in Houston knew who the players were. And we were like, like you said, we, we were on first base, ba- first name basis with all these guys. We would show up to the field, my dad, and he would go off and go to the training room or whatever he needed to do. And me and my brother were like, all right, like let's grab our gloves. Let's go out in the field. No one's out there. Let's go play catch and, or go hang out in the clubhouse. And then during the games we would go in the batting cage and there'd be like a little TV monitor with the game on. And we would just play mini games the whole time. And, you know, some of the bench players would come in there, hit off the tee and stuff, and we pick balls up, stay out of the way, and uh, that was my dad's rule was, or he had two rule, pretty much, stay out of the way and don't repeat anything you you, you hear in the clubhouse. So <laughs> as long as we were, we were, not, uh, we were always on the best behavior when we were there, but uh, you know we had a lot of fun.
1: And you know what, um, Beto. He, he talks about this, and for me, I remember when I brought Sebastian for the first time into a clubhouse, and I, it was only a triple-A clubhouse. I was with the Giants at the time, but you feel some sense of pride when you bring your son in there, and you just let him walk around, and all the all the guys are just messing with him, playing around with him. Obviously, Sebastian was a little younger. He was a year old or, yeah, a year and a half, maybe two, and he was walking all over the clubhouse, grabbing everyone's bat, grabbing baseballs, so it, there's some sense of pride that goes – into you as a father when you bring in your little son into the clubhouse. Like, I think when you're in the big leagues and you have a son or even a daughter and you bring her in the clubhouse, it's like your pride. You, like you feel even more prideful about everything that's going on. You're like, wow, this is, this is what it's all about.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine that. And Kevin, like you said, that's your backyard, and there's a you and your brother have a tight bond from what I've read. Uh, explain this picture right here where you're smacking gum all over each other. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we we would always have a that was uh we were in the dugout of that game and um we would always have a competition who could blow the biggest bubble and Connor thought <laughs> he could do it and he got one big ass bubble and I just smacked it in his face and the gun all over his face. And he's gotta get it off and it's he probably tried to punch me a couple of times, but I mean <laughs> that, just things like that. Yeah, like there like there's been a there was a couple of times where maybe we weren't acting the right way or we were doing something, but you know, other players kept me in line and and my dad didn't care. He was like, Hey, if he's doing something that you don't like, then, you know, let him know. I remember one time it was like a Sunday day game and my dad went in the training room and he he used to tape his wrist like that big. And so he'd be in there for a little while. I was sitting on one of the the, the training tables and I fell asleep on the training table and Rex Jones, the trainer who had been there for forever and, I woke up to him taping me to the table just and I woke up and I was like that's funny like okay and he's like no like and he taped me all the way up and down my body and I couldn't he left me there for like at least an hour okay like don't fall asleep in the training room don't use these tables as as a couch or something so it was just stuff like that it was uh almost felt like I was a part of the team a little bit. It was, it was awesome.
0: Th- that moment right there, Kevin, like those are the memories that matter to you the most. It's like, you know, you weren't walking around. It sounds like that cocky kid of like, I'm going to be a big leaguer and you know, like that. You're just like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. This is part of it. But do you think that's also shaped you where you're, you know how to enjoy the game?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, all those things that we did before the game, all those mini games were, were really fun, but you know, once the game started, I mean, me, and, uh, we would, we were uh, like all eyes on TV, or all eyes if we were, in the stands. I was watching the game. I was watching what my dad was doing and and stuff like that, little things. And and I think I understood it more than others kids my age because I was there before the game. I watched what they were doing before the game, and now I'm watching them play. And now it, it means a little bit more when I understand. What goes on before and even after. So, yeah, like I said, I was very fortunate, very grateful for, um, you know, my dad retired when I was 12 years old. So I was old enough to, to remember a lot of
1: the things. And so in reading about you, Cab, you, you played football in high school, right? Yeah. What was your position?
2: I played mainly receiver, but I played a little bit of safety, but mainly wide receiver.
1: Did you ever consider going the football route or were you always like, you know what, I'm going to go, uh, baseball is what I want to do. That's my passion and I want to get to the big leagues. Or did you ever consider, you know what, I'm going to go a little separate path than, than my father did and just kind of go build my own, you know, something that's not baseball. No,
2: I, I like probably until like my junior year, senior year of high school, I was like, okay, I am going to a college to play Baseball and football, and I was telling all the colleges that I was like, "I'll walk onto the football team. I don't care. I'll take whatever baseball scholars you offer, and I'll go play football." And a lot of the baseball, they they didn't they didn't really like that too much, but that was kind of my mindset because my dad was a unbelievable football player growing up, and so he he considered himself more a better football player than baseball player, which I think he's crazy, but I don't know how good he was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to play football and I remember I went to Notre Dame and they offered me baseball and they are like, listen, you can play walk on at, at a football here at Notre Dame. I talked to the coach and then I went home and I was like man, I, I don't really think that would be a very good idea for me to do, especially with academics and balancing both sports and if I'm even going to play at Notre Dame, I'm just going to be a special teams dummy. Just really doesn't sound like the best idea and Best fit for me. So I ended up just, you know, I, you know, listen, I'll, I'm just going to play baseball. I think football is going to be over once uh, my senior year is over. So that's kind of what my who, mindset was.
1: Who were the quarterbacks in Notre Dame when you were there?
0: It was only like yesterday. He was still good.
1: Who were the quarterbacks when you were at Notre Dame?
2: Um, it was, um, Deshaun Kaiser was my junior year. Um, Everett Golson was my freshman year. Then he got kicked out his sophomore year, but came back his junior year. And they were pretty good. I remember with Deshaun Kaiser, they, they they went one year where they lost one game and then they went to and played Ohio State in the bowl game. And they they had some good football teams when I was there. It was a lot of fun to watch. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Tory Hunter, uh, Hunter Jr. was playing football and baseball. And I remember talking to Tory when, uh, Tory the dad, when I was covering the Angels. And he's like, oh, man, my son, he's going to go to Notre Dame. He's going to play football. Damn kid wants to play football. I'm telling him, he needs to just play baseball. I keep showing him my checks. I keep showing him my check of how much you can make in baseball. And nobody hits you. And sure enough, he's like, he's so stubborn. This kid has talent. He can do it. He doesn't want to listen to me. And sure enough, what does Tory Hunter do now? Junior, he's in the minor league playing baseball. Like, like you realize what's going on.
2: And Be in the NFL right now playing wide receiver. He was a very good receiver.
0: Yeah, and it
1: uh, yeah. it almost sounds like you wanted to go. The uh, I had a little bit of a chance to to uh, be in the same clubhouse with Jeff Samarja. and he would, you know, he was a guy that went baseball and football at Notre Dame. And he says he's like, yeah, man, I think I could have He, I think he was going to be a first round wide receiver. He yeah, just chose okay. baseball. I was
2: a huge Jeff Samarja fan. That's kind of where my Notre Dame fan base originated from, was the Brady Quinn-Jeff Samarja duo. And I was I was, I was was pretty upset when he chose baseball, but obviously it worked out for him and it was the better decision for him. But yeah, you think? <laughs> <I loved him. laughs> Have you faced him? Never, no. I've never even met him before.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a good dude. That that's, that's pretty funny. Was there any other schools that you were considering when you were – Looking at Notre Dame or were you pretty set on Notre Dame? Did you have to well, – You mean for football or just in general? In general, for, for baseball.
2: Yeah, I – pretty much four schools. It was uh, Notre Dame, University of Virginia, LSU, and a little bit of Stanford. I wasn't crazy about Stanford, but my mom wanted me to look into it, so I looked into it, but uh, – I was actually a big LSU fan growing up being from Houston. It was uh, my best friend growing up was a big LSU fan. And I always went to Bat- Baton Rouge like once a year to watch a football game. And those football games are crazy. I mean, I wouldn't say it's better than Notre Dame, but it, it's a little bit different and it, it's very exciting. And I, I always wanted to play football at LSU and in baseball too. But, um, <laughs>
0: yeah. That's that Houston in them, Rick. That's it. When you're from Texas, it's football and then there's spring football. That's what you worry about, right?
1: Well, I've seen some of those stadiums. I, I, I've seen some of those high school stadiums. I mean, they're
0: crazy. Dude, just every single time you fly to Dallas, you're looking at every single high school has a stadium, 10,000, all these amazing things. You're like, this is a high school? And they're like, oh, yes, yeah, so that's not even one of the good schools.
2: Some of them are like upwards of $60 million stadiums yeah. where high school is football. Yeah, hey,
0: yes. yeah. They don't mess around. They don't mess around. Cat, yeah, uh, as we talk about Notre Dame a little bit, because we were talking about, I went to the game a few years ago, and I've always been a Notre Dame fan kid. And you just see this, and you walk up there, and you see Touchdown Jesus, you're like, all right, this is different. But it's a college that's in South Bend, nothing much around it. But everybody that I know that has gone to Notre Dame, a good friend of ours, Eileen Villarreal, uh, she's was the Tigers PR director and was a student manager for the football team and now she was like, Beto, you have Notre Dame? Anything Notre Dame? Great. Because that community, that bond, right? It's something different that you guys have. Why is it so special?
2: I don't, I mean, there is a famous Lou Holtz quote, and I don't think I can quote it word for word, but it was like, if you've never been in Notre Dame, no explanation will suffice, and kind of vice versa. And it, it's totally true. It, it's just a special, very special place uh, at Notre Dame. Better you've been there, you've seen it. It's it's kind of inexplainable. And when I talk about, when people talk about college football, talk about different experiences with it, it's it's like I said, it's it's not better than anywhere else. It's just totally different. Like you, if you go to LSU and then you go to Alabama, those experiences are going to be very similar but when you go to a Notre Dame game it's it's totally different and and I don't, I don't really know how to explain it what makes it so different it's just the tradition um, it's been going on forever they've been good since the 18th century it seems like and uh but yeah and they've just been able to carry out the tradition and carry out uh you know competitive teams year in and year out
0: yeah like the thing I told to my son who was like i think in 7th grade no he was like in 5th grade when i took him He's a high school <clears throat> sophomore now. And when I turned out, I like, dude, you're coming here. And he's like, but I'm an SC fan. I'm like, yeah, SC's cool, but you're coming here. Like, he didn't know any better. Like, I'm trying to tell him right now, like, Mattel, you're going to apply there. He's a basketball player. I'm like, you're not going to play here, but at least apply for me, bro. Like, let me live through you. Like, I was a junior college all-star. Let me live through you. Let me get that acceptance letter from Notre Dame, and then go wherever you want to go.
1: But he'd, you're probably, right. he'd probably come home after that first winter.
0: Though. Oh, hell yeah. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no like Mexican food out there either, too. So you got to be careful. It's, it's hard.
2: Yeah. The weather, the weather's terrible food, but somehow everybody wants to go there. And that's for a reason.
0: Hey, Kev, um, you so back to you being the kid who's grown up in these clubhouses. I read a story that Sammy Sosa smacked you in the chest with the BP ball. No, 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 no.
2: It was. Um, he picked me up after I got smacked in the chest. <laughs> we, were at, uh, we were at Wrigley Field, and I was young. I was probably seven years old, um, give or take. And uh, back in the day at Wrigley Field, the batting cages were where the bullpen is now. So it's in like the right center field wall. These two open up, and there's a tiny cage out there. And the Astros, I don't think we're hitting BP or, or whatever. And, and so my brother and I, we always had a competition where who would catch the first big league fly ball. So like we had some stupid bet, like, okay, if whoever catches the first big league fly ball wins this, but my mom were like, okay, you guys are too young. We don't want you to get, I don't want you to get hurt. Like I think you can catch it. Cause I think you're too young and you're going to, you're just going to get hurt. And so my dad was like, all right, Hey, like come with me. Let's go to the cage. And so me and my brother you know, we walk out there and we go sit in the cage and the Cubs were taking batting practice on the field. And i was just standing out there watching in right field. And my brother was doing something and my dad was hitting in the cage. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to sneak out there on the right field line. I'm going to catch a ball and I'm going to run straight back into the the cage and be like, (laughs) I caught it. I caught it. Like they all saw me catch it. Like, I win. So I go out there. I'm sitting out there on the right field line. The sun's like above their dugout, the third third base dugout. And so I'm just sitting there. Sammy Sosa's getting his live reads out there. and um, I didn't know like the balls would slice and hook. I I was still in middle league at the time. You were seven, bro. You (laughs) (laughs) go out there and – Ball goes up into the sun to my right, and I'm like, all right, that's going over there. And so I put my eyes back on the hitter to see where he's going to hit it, and I hear, like, heads up, heads up, and I look over, and then it just goes right in my chest, and I go straight down on my back. And I'm just looking up at the sky, and then all of a sudden, Sammy Sosa, who at the time was the dude, picks me up and just, like, runs and carries me into the cage, and he's – just like, <laughs> like it, it, hurt. Like, but I wasn't crying or anything. I was just like, you wore it, not you wore it, baby. You wore it, I wore it, I wore it, and <laughs> that was the story of me trying to catch my first big league fly ball. Did not. I could see, I asked, My mom was pissed, and it
1: was. It I was can hilarious. imagine. I can just imagine your your pops, Sammy Sosa, carrying you into the into the batting, <laughs> and your dad being like. What the hell just happened here?
2: <laughs> I'm more embarrassed. I, I was, and I felt bad too. I was like, "Oh god, that's what a big league game." Oh, you're right yeah. there. Balls you, I'm never gonna be invited back.
0: You, you were probably more mad that you didn't catch the ball, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I was mad because I didn't see it. Because I, I
2: would have saw it. I would have caught this thing. Yeah. I knew like. I had all the confidence in the world. I was like if a ball is hit, I'm gonna catch it. I don't care who hits it and at what level and how high it goes. I'm gonna catch it. I just didn't see it. It went right into the sun, and I was just didn't even see that all until I was laying on the ground next. <laughs> Do you remember what Sammy said to you or anything? Mm, no, I remember him trying to give me some of his water bottle, and my dad was like, "Do not drink water bottle." <laughs> <laughs>
0: got some of that rum in there man poppy poppy thin thin this will make you better poppy (laughs) (laughs) who who was more mad your your mom or your dad
2: um i don't remember i think i don't think my dad was mad at me i I think my i think my dad was mad at me because he was going to be in trouble with my mom I don't think he trying to go catch a ball. He, he wanted he wanted us to go up. And he was just like, ah, I can't let you. Mom,
0: no, but, yeah, that's the thing. Making that phone call, like, all right, babe, like, hey, he got hurt. Uh, this that. Why did you let him? Like that. You're right. I can see your dad's point of like, I don't want to make this call. Like, I I don't.
1: <laughs> that was one of those things where he was just. He was probably t- telling Kevin, "Hey, don't say anything," to uh to. You t- don't take off your shirt for the next two weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bud Selick's tattoo. tattoo right here. Bud Selick on his chest right here. <laughs> but that's part of the cool things about just being growing up and who you are, Kevin, like those memories for you. When did you think, you know what, I can get to the big leagues? Because it sounds like you were that little kid who said, like, I'm going to play in the big leagues. You know, we all say that. But when did it kind of click to you like, hey, this is possible?
2: Probably when like a sophomore in high school, I went to this showcase and like I had no zero, I had zero college trips. No one really knew who I was, and it was kind of my first time doing any showcases and and whatnot. And I, you know, I had a really good showcase, and literally right after it was like colleges just emailing me, emailing me, emailing me, and I was just like, whoa, like I don't even know what I want to do. Like I know, I knew I wanted to. To to play baseball, but I didn't know what college. I, I was a fan of Notre Dame. I was a fan of LSU. I didn't know where I wanted to go. And now these schools are like, you need to come here on a visit. We're going to give you this. I was like, whoa. And then I went the next year, and it was like, now nah, it's pro teams doing the exact same things. And I'm like, like, and I and I was competing against some of the best kids in in high school. And I was like, okay, like, I, if I can handle this, then, then I can get better and and make it to where I want to be.
0: So you were on that uh, that travel ball circuit and you started getting the nose because from what I read you weren't the biggest kid either right?
2: No I, I mean I was six two but I was like a buck 70 if that I mean probably 160 so I was I wasn't a skinny kid and trying to to hit the ball with the fence but uh you know I had some leverage and you were drafted
1: out of high school correct Cal? Yeah, I did. I was drafted by the Phillies in the 29th round. Did you ever consider it? Did you ever say, you know what, I'm, I'm I'm, ready for this? Or were you always set on going to Notre Dame?
2: Yeah, I mean, there was some interesting offers that we had going into that draft where, you know, kind of mid, mid to late first round. And, you know, it was like, hey, if this happens, like this is very possible, this team could – Call you with this this pick, and I think I I knew I could handle handle it and handle you know being in the minor leagues and all that and playing and competing, but uh, I I didn't really want to miss out on my college experience. I, I was pretty much dead set on, on joining my brother in college. I was already friends with his friends and his teammates that would be joining. I liked the coaches, and um, it was a good situation for me to go in and going into that it was like okay this is gonna have to be like some huge number where it's gonna that's gonna have to convince me to to go into pro ball because i'm so dead set on going to notre dame
1: and and it's true what he says right there beto because at the age of 18 17 18 i I picture myself because i was drafted in high school too and you almost you're like okay am i ready for this kavin says he was for me if i would have signed Holy smokes. If I knew what minor league ball was all about or didn't, because I didn't know if I, if I knew what, I, if I, if I didn't know all that stuff and I went ahead and signed, I would have been scared shitless, man. I would have came home right away. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that I did take my college years and it just helped, helped me mature. It helped me. I wasn't as ready or prepared as I thought I was. So I was like, all right, I have a lot more to learn. So those three years for me at Cal State Fullerton, made the biggest difference in the world. I was able to learn who I was, be around more of a, uh, you know, where I grew up, obviously it was very Mexican-American, about 98%. And, and when I went to Kelsey Fullerton, it was a completely different culture. So it allowed me to kind of learn that culture and, and be around different people that were not the same color skin as me. Um, so I, I, for me, it helped me mature. Those three years were big for me.
0: Well, Ricky, you've always said that if your son was to get drafted out of high school, and I'm pretty sure your dad would say, "Wait, Cav, if you're not a first rounder making generational type money, go to college and grow up, learn how to be responsible, and just have fun, right?" Because once you sign that pro contract, right, once you get to the, you know short season, it's you're a grown ass man now, and you better perform, right? It's there's no safety for you, right?
1: Yeah, right. and it's all um, we've. we've- about this very many times. It's not like somebody hands you a handbook and says, "This is what you got to do." Or it's like, "All right, you're here in this city. Um, there's these few places that rent uh, apartments to the players. It's on you to go find it, go look at it, sign a lease, uh, find some roommates, maybe split the rent, uh, do your own la- laundry, all that stuff. You know that that in college it prepares you for moments like this."
0: Cap <laughs> shaking his head, like, "What? No, <laughs> I totally agree." That that part of
2: it is is would be totally more eye-opening to me as an 18-year-old versus a 21-year-old. And I think one of the biggest things for me was just experiencing some failure in the game of baseball in college versus in the minor leagues. I mean, I, I think I was, you know, I, I struggled and but I was able to to learn why I struggled and deal with that, and you know, my first two years at Notre Dame, my numbers weren't that great. Then I was able to go to the the Cape Cod League for the second time, and you know, really figure out how to put it all together consistently. And you know, going into my junior year, it was it was easy after I learned how to do that. And doing that in the minor leagues is so much more difficult than doing it in college with. Your, your closest friends are there your coaches that have recruited you and have supported you this and it's way easier of a support and it's more fun because you got you know college football you got you know you got girls around it's just a lot more fun in general but uh you know minor leagues doing that it's, it, it would be a lot more challenging and, you know I, I said i thought i was prepared but you know you never know what could have happened if i would have gone out of high school you know? and i'm just grateful for my experience at know
0: Kev, you mentioned something about the failure that you had at Notre Dame for for your standards, the struggles that you had for your show. Because you and Ricky were kids who were coming up, and it's like, okay, we're on the travel team, we're doing this, we're getting the showcase, we're doing that. You're getting the accolades, and it's baseball is easy. That's why you guys are the one percent of where it's at. But struggling for the first time in your life, you know, Ricky's talked a lot on his podcast about he spent a couple years in Double A trying to figure out what the hell is going on as guys are passing him up. For you in the minors, how hard was it? Struggling, scuffling, trying to figure out what the hell am I doing here? How did you get over that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was easier for me to get over my struggles in the minor leagues because of what I did in college. Mm. But the first full season in the minor leagues, it was that was pretty eye opening. Where you know I had a, a first good half of the year, first seventy games, and that's the most games I've ever played in a season before my life and I'm like, okay, I'm doing pretty well. Then all of a sudden I'm going through this two week month long slump and I can't seem to consistently get out of it. And, and that was probably the biggest thing is where I went into that off season after my first full season. I was like, all right, I got to come up. I got to, I'm good at this, but I need to be better at that. So I can be more consistent that off season. I just went in there and I was like, okay, this is why I wasn't consistent for the full 140 games and this is what I need to get better at if I have a shot and make it to the big leagues. And that's what I did. And, and, it, and it paid off in 2018 when I went to double A. And, and that's kind of where my thought process goes every single offseason, where it was like, okay, I was good at this this year, but I wasn't good at this. Let's try and work on it. And then, for the year, hopefully minimize those struggles and where eventually where I want to be down the road to the player that I, I want to be. Um, potentially. So that was kind of where the first full minor league season helped me um, just learn more about myself as a baseball player.
1: And it shows the maturity right there of you accepting the failures and saying, okay, this is what I need to go and work on. This is where I'm good at. I'm going to continue to get better at this, but these are the things that I have to hit this off season. And sometimes you know, the, you've seen it, Cav, where, where a lot of stubborn players that are like, no, that's – no, no, I'm not going to change. I'm, this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change it. Sometimes when you fall into that stubbornness, it's where the game starts kind of getting away from you. But I think it shows who you are and you decided to say, okay, this is – I am not good at this. I'm going to go this opposite. I'm going to I'm going to completely redo this and come back a better player next
2: year. Yeah. Staying within yourself, I mean, it's not like I went into that offseason or any offseason. I'm like, okay, I'm going to completely change this. So when I come into spring training next year, I'm going to be able to recognize my swing. But no, like I go into the next year and, you know, to the naked eye, it's like, oh, like there he is hitting. But the hitting coach is like, okay, I noticed you've done this and that. Tell me why and I'll tell him why. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I still look very similar year in, year in and year out, but in my head and in my work, I'm working on different things so I can get become the best possible player that I can be. And That's just taking what you're good at, and that's just going to get better, and taking what you're bad at and minimizing that.
0: It's a, as a reporter, you see these, these guys come up to the major leagues and they're already made. And to see the big leaguers struggle at times, and you're like, damn. I don't even know what the hell he's talking about right now, but you guys notice a two mile an hour pitch, the difference, right? Like Ricky and I've talked about this. I'm like, the, the ability for you guys to even hit a ball, which is the hardest thing in the world. And then to see it at hundred miles an hour, and then like, Oh, I got to adjust this, this and that at a young age to just check your ego and say, Hey, I need to find things that are different for me. And you have that maturity level at such a young age at 25, and just trying to figure things out, Kevin, like you know, you're getting your feet into the major leagues and adjusting and you know, listening to you right now. I'm like, damn, this kid's mature. I'm, like, I feel like an immature guy at 42 talking to you right now. Like, right, thanks, Kev. Appreciate it, guy. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Have you always been that way? You always been that mature kid?
2: Uh, I guess. I mean, yeah, no,
0: probably.
2: Not. Yeah. I think when it comes to baseball, yes, but okay. maybe other okay, things so much.
0: All right, all right. When it comes to baseball, you're a mature young man because if not, they're going to tape you up to the training table, and you can't do that anymore. You got to be careful with that.
2: I'll be taped to a table.
0: Yeah, Cav, um You you that, get to the major leagues. Okay. Uh, what you got, Rick? Go ahead.
1: I was going to say I was probably going to follow you. I was going to say you get to the major leagues. What was that call like for you when you were when you were in Double A, I believe, right? Or in, no, you were in Triple A, right?
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and so is, was it – did you kind of sense it or were you like totally shocked by it? How, how, how did that moment go for you? I was
2: expecting it, but I was shocked by the timing of it. It was – you know, it was early 2019, you know, the big league team, they weren't doing very well and, you know, they had a big opening at second base and that was my position and I was just kind of waiting on when was it going to happen. And we were in Rochester, New York. And, Ricky, do you remember those 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 kids games where you would have to play at like 9 a.m. and yeah. this pack of screaming nine-year-olds? Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. 9 a.m.?
1: Yeah. Yeah. These my league games start at 9 a.m. because it's school day. It's like summer camp. So they bring out the whole stadium pack of kids. No, the whole stadium screaming the whole time.
0: That sucks. Okay, yeah, great. Love the kids. But, no, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. go on. It, it
0: is
2: dangerous because foul balls go screaming in there and, and it's going towards some nine year old. And the, you know, they're not paying attention to the game, they're just screaming and yelling with their friends. And every time you hold your breath, like, don't hit them. And it always seemed to miss them, though. Thank God. But <laughs> anyway, it was <laughs> we're playing a 7 p.m. game. It ended at like got out of there like 11, 11 30, 9, 9 a.m. game, show up early. And it's just pouring rain, and it's and it, this is Rochester, New York. It's AAA for the Twins, and that the general manager I had heard was like, "We are going to wait until we can play. There's no like canceling games, and we're we'll going to play next week two double headers or whatever." No. Nope. And so it's like noon. It's like a three hour delay, and we're like, "Let's just go home." We literally come back here in five days. Like, let's just. Play double head It's like, nope, we're getting this game in. Whatever. So the game starts like one. So whatever. We play the game. It's a long game. We win. And I'm in a bad mood. I'm just like, why did we play this game? All right. <laughs> and now we're getting on a bus to go to Lehigh Valley. It's not, not too far. It's probably like three, four hours. And um, my hitting coach, Corey Hart, who I had in high A, we're, we're pretty close. And he was like, "Hey, <clears throat> come in the office real quick." And I'm like, "Dude, what do you want?" I'm packing. We get on the bus. I just want to like close my eyes. And he said, "Just come in here." And so I walk into the office, and he like closes the door, and it's all the coaches on our AAA staff are just sitting there looking at me. I'm like, "What? What did I do?" And he was like, "And uh, Bobby Meecham was our manager, and he was like." There's only been only two players that I've seen call up from here. It's you and myself. And congratulations, you're going to play second base tomorrow with the Toronto Blue Jays. It turned like like the one of the worst money days situations of my life to like the best real quick, and it was
0: it was awesome. It was uh,
2: you know you, you can't um, you know describe a, a moment of feeling like that. It was awesome.
0: <clears throat> but weren't you guys going to have a big party in Lehigh Valley? Your mom was grocery shopping and you called her. Yeah. So my parents were
2: in New Jersey they have a house. My mom's from New Jersey, dad's from New York, and they're going to drive to Lehigh, which is probably like an hour from where they were in New Jersey. And I had to call them and be like, Hey, change of plans. Don't go to Lehigh Valley, come to Toronto instead, because I'm getting called up. And then they, I think they. I think they ended up just driving like the nine or ten hours to Toronto, like right then. So it was. Pretty cool.
0: Who did you call first? Your mom or your dad?
2: I called my mom first. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you got to right. You got to call your mom.
2: Yeah. I mean, my mom and I, we we've always been a little bit more close than my dad and I, just because those first first twelve years of my life, you know, my dad he's in and out all year, so. Me and my brother and, and my sister, we were always, you know, pretty much during the baseball season, we're pretty much raised by just my mom. And, and she's just such a trooper. And she worked her ass off for so many years. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was a, a really cool accomplishment for myself. But I think she uh, she took some time in it as well. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool.
0: And the first time you guys went to Houston was a big moment too, right? Oh,
2: yeah. That was that was weird, but it was, it was awesome.
0: Why was it weird? <laughs>
2: Because that was really my second home. I had literally been everywhere in that ballpark besides in that batter's box playing second base. And it was weird, the same announcer who, who's still there. He was there in 2000 when the stadium opened, and he was announcing second baseman Biggio to lead off the game. It was – I've heard that for, for, for so many times. It's crazy, and it was really cool for him to, to stay with with me coming to play. It was, it
1: was, Did he add a little bit did he add a little bit of flavor to your name or was it, you know, cause normally when you're a visiting player, you're, it's just Kevin Biggio. You know, did he add a little bit of, a flow flair to, to, to the name right there when you came up to hit? He said it like he would say
2: my, my dad's name. when he played. That's awesome. That's how cool it was. And then like fans got up and cheered for me too. It was Eric Coles pitching and it's striking me out. And I was just like, damn, like I couldn't even, like, I was like, Just as nervous for that game when I was, for my debut, it was, and they were all within two weeks of each other, which is crazy. Wow. That's crazy.
0: You go back to just with the Houston moment, because I read that story about you and your mom, like how, you know, you said your dad goes away and he's playing in the big leagues and your mom has three kids at home and the backbone of what's going on, those moments that you share uh, with your mom going from a, a little league game to then to the stadium with your dad, and then come back all full circle as a, a big leaguer. That game, that first game in Houston. You said it, it was weird walking around, but when you walked to the stadium and you got in there, what was that feeling like?
2: Honestly, it because it, it, at the time, I, that's where I do my that's where I did my off season hitting is in Minute Maid using the cages, and I'm close with all those clubhouse guys on both sides. And it was, it felt eerily similar to like old times. Cause my dad, cause I stayed at my house and my dad drove me to the field. We walked in together. It was like, it felt totally normal. But I don't know if you've ever been to, played at Houston, Ricky, but it's like you walk the home clubhouse, but like the visiting clubhouse, you kept going. The only time, Mm -hmm. the only thing different is that he stopped at the home clubhouse and I just kept walking to the visiting clubhouse. But that (laughs) was. The difference between it and, you know, I, I went to the visiting house and, you know, Steve Perry's been there forever and I've known him forever. And it was weird to go into his office and, and talk to him, not as a kid or a, a son of my dad. I went in there as a, you know, as a visiting player myself. I had number eight locker and, you know, I knew all, it was it was really cool just to, to be able to do that because that's what I've always wanted do. I've always wanted to play in Maid Park regardless if it's Astros on my chest or not. So it was uh that was pretty special.
1: And these are the stories Beto, right here that we like to hear about, right? Yeah. I mean this is the stuff that 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 you normally don't hear um being told and I uh, I think it, it, it I I'm getting goosebumps yeah. just about, like I'm like I was sitting here picturing it him walking and uh his dad just stopping in the club out and he keeps going and it's like What's going on here right so you you experienced all these moments as a, as a rookie um Kevin, but talk to us about when you hit the cycle as a rookie i mean that's it hadn't been done in in what like 14, 15 years uh, of the of the organization's history I think it was like 2001 I believe it was the last time it was done prior to you what was it that day were you like did you you know we, when we talk about pitching they're like oh when did you notice you you had a no hitter? When did you notice that? Oh, shoot, I can, I can hit for the cycle today.
2: I didn't notice it until it was like, what well, I hit it in the ninth inning. I think it was the eighth inning. And Black had come to me in the dugout. He was like, hey, if you hit again, hit a triple. I was like, all right. But like, <laughs> as a hitter, like, you come a triple from a cycle. Once or twice a year, and you, your whole life, you've been a triple away from the cycle many times, so it wasn't unusual for me to be in that situation. It's like, oh, like triple, especially in Camden Yards, it's hard to do. I mean, something's got to bounce weird, something's got to, or you can tuck it around the right field corner or something. It's it's a small ballpark, ballpark in general, and yeah, it was actually another cool family experience in that aspect. Where my mom was in New Jersey, we were in Baltimore. It's like three hours away, and. <clears throat> My mom was like, I want to go see you play, but I don't know if I can, like, if I want to drive by myself all the way to Baltimore. And my brother ended up convincing her. He's like, you know what? Like, you need to go. Like, you're not, like, my mom had lost her mother, uh, like, within the past year. And she was, you know, she was pretty sad about it. It's been a tough year for her. So she was like, you know what? Like, I deserve it. I'm just going to drive down there. So it was like kind of a, a last second decision to drive down that night. And you no, know, I was able to hit for the cycle and like she talks about how it's like the greatest day of her life and it was it was really cool. Me and her went out and we had a few drinks after and celebrated at the hotel bar and then uh it was just kind of a day where I'm never gonna ever forget.
0: that's cool right there. Like how'd you celebrate? I had a couple of drinks with my mom. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean I still remember when I the first time I got to pitch opening day in Toronto, um, against the Minnesota twins, my mom flew out. It was the same thing. She was like, should I go or should I not go? And I was like, well, who knows if I'll be pitching on opening day the next year, you know, you just never know what can happen. So she finally flew out. And that's what we did after the game. I go to, we just went to, to grab some dinner, grab some drinks and she, you can just see the emotion through her. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that puts a smile on your face when you're able to see your family happy. I mean, you, you do it for yourself when you're out there, but at the end of the day, when you get to make that, fight, whether it was a good game or a bad game, you know that your family is always going to be there for you.
2: Yeah. And that's what, and that's something that you'll never forget in like last, yeah. last second to to come out and see you. And that's just kind of what makes, mm-hmm. makes it that much more special, I think.
0: Kev, you mentioned uh, your mom's from Jersey's. I mean, a bunch of Bruce Springsteen at your house.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much all she. Was. It's East Street Radio in the car, and she's she's her, he's her guy. I mean, she's the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan.
0: Oh, see the thing is, the every single baseball writer is an old salty white guy, right? And they all rave about Bruce Springsteen. So I come in there as a Mexican. And they're like, oh, you got to listen to Bruce. All I've ever heard of Bruce Springsteen here from L.A. is born in the USA. That's all I know. And, like, I don't know anything else. And they're like, I'm in my 20s. And they're like, you got to listen to Bruce. It'll change your life. I'm like, man, like, I got Snoop. I got Tupac. I'm okay, bro. I don't need that. And then, no, none of this So that. So, I don't know if you follow Twitter a lot, but these writers will every now and then go on over, like a tangent about Bruce Springsteen. And all the baseball writers become, like, the thing. If you're a baseball writer, you worship at the uh, Church of Bruce Springsteen. And it's like – so anybody from Jersey – I work boxing with a man named Frank Belmont who's told me he's gone to 40 different Bruce shows. These guys keep track of how many shows they've gone to see Bruce. I'm like, isn't it the same thing? No, 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 no. It's always different. Little Stevie and all this other stuff. So I know as a Jersey kid, you must have heard it all, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) – have you listened to
0: Bruce at all? Yeah, oh, of course. I'm in my 40s now, so I have. You know, I, I, I know what's up now. But it, 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 it is pretty badass. So it is. Bruce is cool, man.
2: Yeah, He's cool, yeah.
0: Yeah. He's awesome. Texas kid, you're in a clubhouse. What kind of music right. are you listening to? Now? Yeah. Or growing up? Everything. What you got? Man, I, I usually listen
2: to, to hip-hop in... And- Right now, um, not really too much of the new music. I'm still kind of on that, that Pop Smoke last album, uh, RIP. First of all, and uh, <laughs> that was kind of like that was kind of like our guy this season. Boba Ishetty, he's the big DJ on our team, and that was that was kind of the guy we always listened to in, in the locker room
0: when we could.
1: See, I don't even know who Pop Smoke is. <laughs> <but>. <laughs>
0: That's see Rick, that's the reason I brought up the music is because Oh
1: man.
0: So I have a 15-year-old, right? And he plays basketball, and him and his friends start talking, and I kid you not. And like Ricky, actually, Ricky and my son text back and forth. They talk shit to each other. Like he's, he my son runs my fantasy team that I'm in with Ricky. And he'll be going yeah. back and forth with Ricky. Like Ricky made him cry a few years ago during the Super Bowl because he's a Seahawks fan. So my son, that's when the, the Seahawks didn't run it in and they lost. And uh-huh. Ricky's like, yeah, right. And my son's like the whole game, my son is talking trash to Ricky. And he looks at me, me cried tears too, in his eyes. And I'm like, hey, bro, you want to talk? You want to talk to the big boys? This is what you're going to get. He's like 10. I'm like, hey, you, you better know what's he, up.
1: He was just texting me a couple nights ago. I ended up, at, we have a league in fantasy football, and I ended up in last place. So they ended up uh, above me, and, and he was like, just ripping me to shreds. He's like, ha, ha, ha. What happened, bro? I thought this was your year. And I'm just sitting there wearing it. And I'm like, dude, you're not making the playoffs. What are you celebrating? You know, <laughs> But
0: that's what it is. Like, he, so his what are you got like, to do since
2: you got lost in fantasy?
0: What's that? What
2: do you have to do? Usually, when you when you get in last place, you, you, there's like a certain punishment that you got to do
1: when you finish. Yeah, last no, game. we haven't done that. Yet. Well, I was second to last. technically, I wasn't in last place. There was another guy that was in last place, but we, we haven't really done anything in the past. I've been running this league just a few friends here around around this era and and, and family members. So, but yeah, we have to come up with something good.
0: Yeah, because Ricky showed last. But yeah, so like the pop smoke, I have no idea who that is. But my son and his friends are talking about that, and I like. So I'll post on my Instagram story a song that's like young, and I'm always like, "Hey man, who, give me a song, give me a song," and he'll give me something. So people were like telling me, "Like, damn, Beto, you're you're hip, you're hip to the music. <laughs> know, what's up?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." No clue what the hell they're saying. <laughs> right? That's how Ricky yeah. feels right now. Like, what do you what do you yeah, like? Right.
1: How- I, mean, I know, I know he he unfortunately passed away, but I don't know if I know one of his songs. I just I really don't.
0: Getting old, Rick. Yeah. Getting old.
1: <laughs> no, hey, Cab, like I said, we, we really appreciate you coming on, on this podcast. It's honestly pretty fun for us uh, that you joined us yeah. wow. and, and kind of the way we like to close it out. And even though I feel like you were just 18 not too long ago, um, the question we always ask is, if you can go back to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? What
0: advice would you have for yourself?
2: Oh man, that's a, that's a loaded question
0: right oh, there. We don't mess around here, bro. We don't mess around. We bring the heavy stuff. As no, you
2: can tell. You know, clearly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> or what do you wish? I don't know, probably like, probably don't be in a rush. Don't don't be don't be in a rush for things. That just be with you know, I was always when I was eighteen, I was always wanting to to get to the next level or uh you know become older like okay i want to be 21 i want to do that and i want to do this and it was like versus just you know just kind of be where you are and and enjoy it because man it's it, like being at notre dame for those three years man i was one i was like i wanted to you know get the season going i want to get drafted i want to do this i want to do that but probably just don't rush man enjoy it
0: yeah that's perfect right there that's perfect you just enjoy it and kev i know uh You don't believe this, but we've been doing this for 57 minutes. So we're going to wrap it up right now. Quick little questions. Just give me some answers. All right. Uh, Music, I guess you say uh, Pop Smoke is a trip on right now, right? Yeah. All right. What's your at bat song?
2: Uh, This year it was uh, Prospect by Ian uh, Dior and Little Baby. Ricky, you know who that is?
1: I know who Little Baby is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Little Baby,
0: mainly. Do you speak any Spanish? A little bit. Uh, do, you want, know any, do you know any clean words in Spanish? Un poquito, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> my vocab, my vocab is decent. All right, so you speak baseball Spanish, hey Poppy, huh? No, I like, I like to say I'm a little bit above
2: baseball Spanish. Oh, nice.
0: That's good for you. That's-
2: we have a big Spanish population here, and I went to school with a bunch of Spanish-speaking kids in high school.
0: All right, all right. Nuestro amigo Cabin. Now, where did that name come from, Cabin? What does that mean?
2: It is a county in Ireland, and my grandfather went there and recommended it to my parents. And at the time, I was two weeks old, and I had no name, and so that's kind of what they went with. Wait, wait,
0: wait. wait. What do you mean? You had no name?
2: I had no name. I don't. I don't. That's a conversation for my parents on this. I was born, and my dad flew in, and then he flew out, and he went to go play. And my mom was like, "What do you want to name him?" And he was like, "Oh, we'll think about it later." And she had a my brother who was two years old and an unnamed baby, and so they called me baby,
0: <laughs> little baby.
2: There you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man, little babies on the podcast today. Like, I didn't even know you could leave the hospital without naming your kid. All right. Well, hey, they do things different in Texas, think, Ricky. I think they got
2: a birth certificate with a Quinn on it, which is actually my younger sister's name. So it was like, like Quinn, and then they like got on that. No, never mind. We're not gonna name him Quinn. We're gonna name
0: him. You know, if you not- name him. Yeah, if your and mom's oh, watching the podcast, hey, respect to you. You did a great job raising a little baby right here. He's a good young man. He's <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> Oh, man. Cat, this is good, man. We got to do this again. Hopefully, we get to do this in person one of these days in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and we're, we we rooting for you. Uh, as always, uh, you know, the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast, I told you in the beginning, is different. It's not. We don't care how you're going to do it. We don't care about analytics. Did you have fun?
2: I had fun. That's
0: all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, last words. Somebody who's looking up to you right now says, hey, you know what? Kevin Biggio, he only got to the big leagues because of his dad. Not because of that. Create your own identity is what I keep reading about you. When you look at it right now, what do you want to be known for when you're done playing?
2: I want to be known for, A, being a good teammate, and B, you know, be being someone who played the game the right way all the time, not when it was easy to. And that's really easy to, to say that. But in this game of baseball, it's 162 games. It's a lot of games. And to be able to say that you played every single game, like it, was, it could be your last, it's a lot. And that and being a good teammate would probably be the best legacy that you can leave on the baseball field. Damn. This is.
1: This is why I would pay to go watch this kid play. Honestly. Yeah. It's just And, and it. to
0: win a championship. World oh, yeah, Series. Given. But you do know, you know that yeah. you, know, <laughs> you you right there you say uh win a championship, of course. But back to the maturity factor, Rick. This kid just said I want to be known as a good teammate. That's a leader mm-hmm. right there. That's how a leader talks. And you told me this last week when you told me that you, you booked Gavin, you're like, this kid, I like him. I've heard nothing but great things about it from other people and like, you know, like in Bull Durham, when he said, "When you speak to me, speak highly," and that's exactly what this hit has.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. I knew we were uh, we were getting a good one, and yeah. um, see, hearing the backstories of it, it makes it even better. You know, he shows his personality. Um, he likes to have fun, but at the same time, it's when he's at work, it's it's time to work, and he's he's got a, a goal in mind. Uh, personally, as a te- for a team. He, he's just you know he's he's seeing it and that's why good things don't happen to him
0: yeah everything earned for you Kevin Piggio, from uh Notre Dame to the Cape Cod League uh whatever it is you have it's uh only the beginning for you man all earned respect to you and keep on hustling man keep on doing it. and then uh eventually Kevin you're gonna be like us trying to figure out who the heck these rappers are don't worry <laughs>
2: <laughs> I appreciate you guys thank you guys for having me I had a lot of fun
0: Nah, no problem. Sure. real quick Dang. now we got to do our commercials uh right here west side love uh use the code let's go ricky 20 let's go ricky 20 go to our boys they'll hook you up with some sweet gear let's go ricky 20 is the code Westside. uh you know you're from houston so we got got to hook you up with some Westside stuff here Boom. yeah
2: oh, i need it there you go <laughs> i got it you know. Know a,
0: it a little bit yeah, no problem we'll be, all right. Kevin, we'll be talking to you soon uh best of luck happy holidays And good luck on the season, man. I know we're doing this again real quick, man. I love this kid, Rick. You were right about him.
1: (laughs) I told you. (laughs) Thanks, Cap. really appreciate it, bro.
0: Adios, amigo.
1: Adios. (laughs)